0: Welcome to Trade Finance Talks, a podcast from Trade Finance Global. During this series, we'll be hearing from global experts, as well as learning about the latest trends, technology and insights in the world of international trade and receivables finance. Episode 108.
1: We operate on a risk sharing capacity, so the private sector is stepping into this type of more longer-term financing for trade activity.
0: This is becoming particularly prevalent again now when we are looking at the African continent, for example, where new sources of offshore oil, for example, are being developed.
2: Hello and welcome to Trade Finance Talks. My name is Dipesh Patel, editor at Trade Finance Global. It might be no surprise that the shipping and trade sector contributes some 20% of global carbon emissions. It's an incredibly complex topic. It's hard to track where the industry's head is at when it comes to green trade finance and implementing sound ESG practices into trade and supply chain finance. Following the COVID pandemic, the aim was really to build back better, creating sustainable and resilient supply chains. But the pandemic, coupled with macroeconomic conditions and soaring inflation, may well have put all of this on the back burner. In this podcast, we're delighted to welcome back Roberto Lever at the Asian Development Bank and Joanna Wissing at Itf to discuss ESG and trade finance and where we are at. Today, we're uncovering a fairly uncomfortable topic, which is the financing of dirty fossil fuels and energy sources. It's unrealistic to expect a cold turkey approach to oil trading, as many emerging markets are reliant upon this capital inflow, and the global north still runs on fossil fuels from these countries. We must ask ourselves questions that spur tangible action. What are the realistic next steps, and how do we actually ensure progress is made? Taking a multilateral development bank, trade finance bank, and association view, I'm really happy to have Joanna and Roberto join me today. Both of you, welcome to Trade Finance Talks.
0: Thanks so much. Thank
1: you,
2: Can you give us a brief overview of your professional backgrounds? I'm sure you don't need much of an introduction. Everyone knows you very well. Joe, who are you? Where are you from? And what do you do?
0: Thank you, uh Deepesh. and yeah, definitely really great to be here. In my day job, as I like to call it, I'm Director in Trade Finance Syndication at Credit Suisse, So we're responsible for any sort of like primary, secondary market activity in the trade finance field for CS. And then in my night hours or my vampire hours, I'm also um, a board member of uh, the International Trade and Forfeiting Association, which I think needs no further introduction today. And there I am responsible for our activities in the field of ESG.
2: Thanks, Joe, and delighted to also be part of the IPVIRT ESG committee. And likewise, Roberto
1: is also a member. So you don't sleep. Roberto, over to you. Thanks, Dipesh. I am one of the Relationship Manager on the Trade and Supply Chain Finance Program at the Asian Development Bank. So we look after developing countries and try to do the best we can to uh, enable trade across countries. And other than uh, relationship managing some of the of our uh, banks, I am also responsible for several ESG-related projects for the program. Joe has a day job as a director, and in the evening, the 8-5 would say, my day job is talking to banks, and the evening job is to help these banks set up environmental and social risk procedures and processes.
2: Thank you very much, both of you. And it sounds like you have a very busy day and night jobs. So thanks even more for joining us on Trade Finance Talks. Now, Joe, ICPA has put together an ESG committee. And as you said, there's a real goal of bringing together leaders across multiple industries to you know, help navigate the world of ESG and trade finance. What have been the achievements in the first year or so? And what are some of the goals moving forwards, Jay?
0: Thank you for this question, Deepesh. And thank you also to you and Roberto both for being members of the committee. From the very early days, you were actually uh, two of the founding members. In terms of achievements to date, we have had a really busy 2022 in terms of raising awareness for the topic as such and advocating for it. Of course, we are all sort of familiar from a day-to-day perspective what ESG stands for. This is not a mystery anymore as it might have been five or six years ago. But of course, what we are striving to do is to really apply it practically in the trade finance context. And for that, in terms of um, 2022 activity, we delivered various in-person and also virtual educational events. We published two white papers on the Subject. One with a sort of like global focus in terms of like what needs to be done, particularly in the space of um, coming up with a common framework and um, common standards. And the other one particularly focused on ESG and trade finance in Africa. We have also been actively working with fintech providers out there to promote their initiatives where we felt they had a positive ESG impact. In terms of goals going forward, for ITFAR in general, it is always very important to deliver content that's quite relevant for our members and, and has a practical implication in the trade finance context. Of course, we will continue our advocacy work. We will continue contributing to creating a common framework of sort of like standards and definitions, even though that is an extremely challenging activity. And we can certainly talk about this in a bit more detail later on. And in that context, we will certainly also very closely watch what's happening in the regulatory space, what are regulators demanding in terms of standards, but also in terms of uh, reporting on the same. And of course, we will continue the good work that we've done on education so far. So we have some events coming up. Next one will be on the 1st of March, actually, in person in London. Thanks very much,
2: Joe. And I think that practical implementation is quite a nice segue into the next question for you, Roberto. Because what trends are you seeing with regards to this sustainable transition and green trade finance? And from an ADB perspective, how have
1: we moved forward in the past 12 months or so? First of all, one thing a lot of effort has been identifying what's sustainable, right? So in terms of trade finance, like how do you identify which part of your portfolio can be considered sustainable and based on what criteria? A lot of work has been done, for example, by ADB in looking At our own portfolio and breaking down, understand what sort of trade we should try to enable more. For example, a sort of sustainable agriculture or what sort of controls we need to have to ensure, for example, that the goods that that we go and finance meet basic criteria for environmental and a social perspective. This is also like, as for Joe's point, a lot of education and training. So we are also evaluating how Could we take this knowledge that we are accumulating and applying to our whole portfolio and bring it to other institutions like, for example, banking association in our development markets? Ultimately, the concept of understanding what sustainability is, what sustainability can mean for our society and also for the individual companies that we go and finance, we require the banks to educate the ultimate client, the SMEs. So quite a few of our training in development at the moment is not just focused on talking to the banks, but it's focused on talking to the underlying customers, the SMEs, for example, through the banks. Specifically for green trade finance, something that we have been looking at very closely is how to promote energy transition. So when you, when you not started talking about oil, for example, like oil is something relatively cheap and quick. So you buy your cargo and you start operating your engines, let's put it like that. When it comes to transitioning to renewable energy, building a wind farm requires project financing, requires actually importing this renewable technology that is normally more expensive, you know, as a starting pack and requires longer financing capacity. So, for example, at our end, we created a new facility credit facility can be leveraged by our banks that would go for up to three years type of risk coverage, specifically for this type of energy transition projects. This can also be set in coordination with sovereign projects. So it's some sort of coordination between sovereign and private sector getting together to move the needles into helping emerging economies and step away from dependence from oil. Last but not least, to say that we are walking the talk, that our program is not going to support oil transaction anymore from July, excluding a couple of exceptions for economy that really are economically independent on oil for the moment. But we'll have an exit strategy for those as well over the next few years. Thank you very much, Roberto. And it's good that you've
2: mapped out those three pillars, understanding, first of all, the concept of sustainability and ESG, educating banks and banks' customers to promote best practice in green trade finance, and then actually assisting with the financing, such as, uh, as you said, like a three-year credit facility, the project finance of the build of wind turbines. Would you say that MDBs, multilateral development banks, are critical and necessary to provide that long-term finance to finance this transition? Or is it something that you are encouraging the private market to own and finance themselves?
1: Yes, pretty like that. We operate on a risk sharing capacity. So the private sector is stepping into this type of more longer tenor financing for trade activity. But what we do is provide um, coverage, not full coverage, but a coverage, substantial coverage of this transaction to give them the comfort to do so. The role of a, uh, of a multilateral is to make itself useless. So we need to help setting up trends building up the necessary products, and then slowly step away. So in this case, I would say we need to collaborate with the private sector. We are not there to provide the full coverage. The private sector need to give put weight on the energy transition themselves. But we are there to advise and we are there to provide the partial support, especially in, in the first few steps. We're looking now at specific economy specific countries, but we want to extend this capacity to all of our developing member countries. Maybe one last bit is that at the same time, because we work a lot with investors behind the scene as well, we also help educating the investor markets, still private sector. So in the hope that in the future, we'll be able to connect the banks and the investors directly for them to support this type of trade uh, independently, one step at a time.
2: That makes so Joe, what's your perspective? Almost sitting on the other side of the coin, but I know you speak to several other lenders and banks. Are there obstacles faced when implementing these practices? And one thing comes to mind, which is the cost of financing this transition. Who's going to pay that? Is it going to be the government? Is it going to be the banks? Or are those costs going to face the consumer and they could even fuel inflation?
0: It's a tricky question, actually, Deepesh, because I'd say it really depends how you look at it. The public-private sector collaboration plays a very important role. As Roberto has already said, certainly the multilateral development banks are here to support this transition. But of course, they also need the private sector as commercial banks to do our part. In terms of the cost, well, I'd say, of course, that all Depends very much in terms of um, what's the affordability, especially of some of the very expensive technologies that Roberto has just mentioned, such as wind turbines. And therefore, sort of like, what is the support that particularly developing countries can get in terms of obtaining the financing? So, of course, that's where we're almost getting into sort of like a, a foreign aid debate. I generally look at it from a commercial banking perspective as well as a perspective of what is the end buyer capable of obtaining, of doing, what financing sources are available, and how can we find the best possible mix between, for example, multilateral coverage, between using uh, export credit agencies, and also then, yeah, other public sector spending as and where required. And then, of course, at the same time, you see more and more large corporations actually setting up in developing countries as being the end buyer there, because they see the future economic benefit and and value that can be created over there. That's sort of like certainly, obviously, availability of financing is always an obstacle in a way, but uh, I mean, that's what banks are there for to address that obstacle. We are certainly going through um, challenging economic times in a rising rate environment, which on the one hand benefits the banks, but of course, on the other hand, makes things difficult again for the end buyer. I'd say other obstacles that we face are more around really, again, around the education piece and sort of like ensuring that the different parties and the chain understand the why and the how, because, well, I mean, obviously we're dealing with many sort of like large corporates that are highly sophisticated, but particularly when we then look down to sort of like more the SME sector, there is certainly still a need on educating all matters ESG. And that certainly is something that Again, the commercial banks, and I'm not just speaking for my own bank, but in general, all the feedback that I'm getting through the work at ITFA is certainly something that the commercial banks are highly focused on as well to ensure to support that SME education, which of course, in then in, then in turn has got great benefits from an ESG perspective, not just looking at the E, but also uh, from an SNRG perspective. The ICC
2: launched its framework, it's wave one framework on sustainable trade finance in terms of definitions and standards. Joe, how can these standardized practices help push sustainability forward within trade finance and commodity finance? Do you think a lot of this will come from technological innovation?
0: The ICC have indeed published sort of like the first sort of like call it a consultation or so, and now has of course launched a pilot to um, focus on creating common standards and definitions of ESG and trade finance. And common frameworks are definitely absolutely needed. But as we also frequently, of course, discuss within the for ESG committee, and for which we have now created our own subgroup, which of course you and Roberto are both members of the advocacy and standard setting group, this is not easy to be achieved at all because there needs to be, well, there's really not a sort of like one size fits at all, right? There are very different requirements depending on which geographies we look at, depending on which sectors we look at. So to find the right sort of like balance between the E and the S and the G and creating a common framework based on that is certainly a challenge for the industry as a whole and something that we want to work very closely with the ICC at it's to help address this jointly. As we've discussed in this context many times is that we also, of course, need to ensure that particularly the voices of emerging markets are heard because today policy is being made in in Western capitals, let's face it, but the majority of the world population lives in a developing world. So we need to find the right balance between different goals from an ESG perspective. From a technology perspective, I see that technology can play a role there in different ways. One, certainly, that's going to be quite dominant is in terms of collecting data and therefore really ensuring that sort of like the frameworks that are being developed can also be uh, measured. And again, this is way more challenging than, let's say, today's measures of uh, economic outputs like GDP or so because it needs to be a much more balanced view so tech can certainly play a huge role in terms of data collection tech can also play a huge role in my eyes in terms of tracking like for example tracking origin of goods and therefore tracking that certain environmental standards or labor standards have been adhered to so definitely um and again at it for there is a huge focus also on what can happen in the tech sector and how we can promote different solutions there technology is playing a key part in this
2: Roberto, what are your thoughts on those frameworks? And does ADB have its own frameworks, follow some of the ICC latest frameworks? And and
1: what about sharing best practices with other MDBs or financiers? The ICC framework on, on sustainable trade finance is something that we will integrate in our activity. We don't want to go in and, and reinvent the wheel at any point. It's still being created, it's still being defined. It's amazing the projects that they're doing. I would say that it might take a little bit longer to be, let's say, applied in a practical perspective. While that is being developed and implemented, what we have done is we wanted to create a framework for ESG specifically for trade finance. While in the banking industry, you have a lot of very well affirmed and used um, environmental and social management system practices in the trade finance space, because of the nature itself of the business that does not allow, you know, an in-depth ESG review at transaction level, we created something new. We created something with the collaboration of several banks in our portfolio, eight banks that have kindly agreed to be our guinea pigs for the past couple of years to create a framework and but also apply this framework for us to get live feedback. As we now complete this project, we have a nice new framework for environmental and management system for trade finance, which we think could be applied by the broader banking system. For us, to, we created something that could become a standard and for us to market such a standard, we are presented it to a group of basically, we have an MLA, let's say working groups in terms of how to align ourselves for several serious topics like just transition, price alignment. And one of the topics that being discussed is the environmental and social management system for trade finance. So I hope that this will become a broader applied standard so that when a bank set up this sort of risk framework, it can be acknowledged and accepted by multiple of their financing partners. At the same time, as you both know within ITFA, we're trying to set up standards. So we are pushing the industry to kind of make agreement and come up with frameworks that can be applied across the sector. And I propose for this uh, standard uh, ESG framework for trade finance also be applied by the commercial banks. So to say, gaining additional momentum. So I would say that's where I want to focus for now. We have more, let's say, more items in the pipeline, but that will be the first framework and um, I think we really need to work on. Thank you.
2: Joe, I'm going to circle back on the title of this podcast, really, on the bad and the ugly of financing fossil fuels, because we know there are 17 sustainable development goals, and it's a widely accepted, positive idea, a sustainable transition, especially for developing countries. But what if they rely on non-sustainable energy sources for survival? What do you think, Joe?
0: Again, this is something that we debate a lot within the various ESG working groups at ITFER and that is being debated by the industry in general, right? Because indeed, we are finding a lot of countries in the global south massively depending for the economic development on uh, what we would probably call dirty energies these days, such as coal, but also a lot on sort of like um, the the heavy fuel industry. This is becoming particularly prevalent again now when we are looking at the African continent, for example, where new sources of offshore oil, for example, are being developed, which is being criticised by some countries in the West, when actually, of course, these sort of like new energy sources there could mean significant economic growth for these countries. So it's a real dichotomy here, I'd say, between the E and the S, because on the one hand, we want to look at the social aspects and sort of like see economic growth and development. But on the other hand, of course, there are significant concerns from an environmental perspective. And I think it's quite interesting what Roberto said in that context, that, for example, the Asian Development Bank, and of course, it's it's not the only uh, multilateral doing that, is phasing out supporting any oil transactions, apart from some countries being in particular need of the same. And I think that's exactly the kind of approach we need to apply. We can't just demand from those developing countries to not rely on fossil fuel sources of energy anymore from one day to the other when they are so important for the economic development, on the other hand, and also for creating stable societies. This, I think, brings us back to the fact that investing in renewables, for example, is extremely expensive. It needs some support here also um, from the Western world, again, for the developing countries. I think in the context of the UNSDG, I, I find them really there are such an important sort of like overarching global standard that has actually managed to develop a very balanced approach between the EDS the and the G. And that's why it's so important to apply these measures, especially when we're looking at the non-sustainable energy sources, for example, in the global South. Roberto, what are your thoughts? I would say that the
1: very important key message is the transition, right? We deal with developing market. So from a multilateral perspective, of view, it's a bit different from a commercial bank perspective, right? So we are there to support clean transition climate positive activities. We have been focusing our own strategy on to green. Our current capacity, like any commercial bank, carry capacity is limited. So we decided, okay, we really need to focus on those items that would be... Um, of help down the line. So uh, as I mentioned before, wind farm or solar or any sort of green activity that helps energy transition. At the same time, we need to be realistic with regards to the need of certain economies. So you can't really unplug the support of fossil fuel one day to the other. We really need to develop a ladder for specific countries that have high energy uh, bills, especially these days, and require that fuel for running basic generators that may support hospital and so on. So we also need to allow a transition phase. These country, the economy needs to be serious about the transition. Uh, most of the economy has a, have a transition plan, more or less detail. And it's very important that the lender ensure that when they operate in a specific country, they have an understanding of what the transition uh, plans for that specific countries are, and also operate accordingly and speak to the. The customer to their clients to understand how they can better facilitate, you know more sustainable activity in their portfolio so i think it's a lot about transition and dialogue that needs to be held
2: thank you i think i'll summarize today's conversation with five key take homes before I ask you both one final question. First of all, education is really required, not just to the banks and the lenders, but also to end customers and consumers of trade finance. Secondly, the mix of financing needs to be taken into consideration, whether it be multilateral development bank support export credit agencies, banks, commercial banks, and the trade credit insurance market. The third point is around technology. There are several use cases when it comes to data collection, tracking and environmental standards that technology can step in and and help plug some of those gaps. Next up is standards and the frameworks that need to be applied across the sector, and then be implemented broad scale. And finally, to Roberta's last point, we need to consider a just transition, particularly when it comes to the global south. And as Jane mentioned earlier, that really leads to a bit of a dichotomy between the E and the S. I guess one final question to you both to make sure that in one year's time when we speak again, we're going to have moved forward. What do we really need to move the needle on sustainable trade finance? Why is it taking so damn long? Joe, over to you.
0: Oh, thank you for that great summary. First of all, Dipesh, you really summarized this very well. Why is it taking so damn long? Well, I would say anything in trade finance always seems to be taking a very long time, but therefore it's also still one of the oldest sort of like instruments in the toolbox of financing, isn't it? Uh, I was discussing again the other day uh, how that, uh, well, LCs date back to the age of the Medici, don't they? So where do we want to be in a year's time? I'd say in a year's time, we obviously want to have made some progress on creating a common framework of standards. And I think if I look back 12 months, then there has been some progress. It's going slowly, but uh, hopefully steadily towards sort of like really creating that framework. The tech space is developing rapidly, quickly alongside. That's sort of like probably the area that I'm least worried about. What else do we want to have taken care of in the next 12 months? Uh, Certainly continue on the education piece and continue on to Roberto's point on working out plans for a just transition. And for that, it is extremely important that we all continue working together across industries with our clients to ensure that they are aware of the implications and that they are aware of what's required for the transition and that we then support exactly that transition. Again, if we look at the multinational corporations, they've got their plans in place. They know that this is important and they have long sort of like worked on um, creating plans and strategies going forward because frankly this is a business imperative especially when I look at the environmental aspects a company that today would only be relying on fossil fuels I'd say I I wouldn't have any credit appetite anymore for (laughs) and uh, I don't think that would be existing in five years time it's a long process but I am optimistic that it's also a steady process towards ever better outcomes from an ESG perspective. Thank you, Jay. Roberto? We are sort of fixing
1: an airplane while it's flying, right? We're really putting a lot of focus on ESG, but at the same time, we need to manage, you know, the credit risk components of our client, the money laundering components. So I'm not giving up just like giving justification. I also appreciate that organization to a certain extent have to get to grow into this area. Expertise is also quite rare. Yeah, still, it's very hard to find, you know, people that have a solid expertise in ESG and banking. And that's one of the, for example, when we talk about training, it's also about like building the knowledge of our clients, but also of ourselves. So there is, when we talk about the MLAs, one of the points of discussion is like, how do we train ourselves? to be better in this topic. No one was born an expert. I would say to be at a different point when here yeah, for now, we need to really focus on champions. And that's what we are doing at our end. So we picked a few banks that were kind enough to develop pilot for us on ESG framework that actually helps building and developing new sustainable trade. And then we're going to use them as voices in the different markets where you operate to provide positive business space. So it's kind of leading by example. The hardest bit has been to create in the first one, <laughs> the first pieces of the domino that then will have to go and influence everyone else. So I would recommend for everyone that is stepping into this area for the first time, which is stepped very recently, to find that those champions to like build these business gates around those companies. They have the will to invest in this space and then make other companies have, get a little bit of peer pressure from it And it would help ignite a positive reaction. Joe,
2: Roberto, thank you very much. And I'd like to comment, I think you're both champions for what is sustainable, realistic, and just trade finance. See you soon. Thank you for joining us on Trade Finance Talks. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to Trade Finance Talks. Be sure to subscribe to our podcasts at tradefinanceglobal.com.